Well, now it's 4.09, and I'm recording live to Anchor FM, watching the sun go down, baking brownies that have 22 minutes left to bake. And I was thinking how when life starts getting really, really deep, as you are seeking wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And you have bullshit on your boots. You've walked through many a pasture full of bulls. You've lived in a world that has always had a fetish for bulls for some reason. It's in all sorts of mythic anchors to realities that people refuse to release. Belief in ever afters that never were and never may be. Impossible things in the realm of reality from where we are today. This is 2020, and we are those who stand up under knowing all that has been hidden for these centuries, at least since Daniel was told to hide away these things that we know of today, apparently, these newly released knowing things that we've known about hydraulics and steam and electricity and magnetism and radio waves and tuning devices and sorting devices, filtering devices that we have blanketed our world with a signaling system such as was only imagined not even imagined in my childhood by more than one or two minds. And I think that of those one or two, probably both of them had something to do with making the atomic bomb functional, but not with the choice to use it as it was used. There was another option. There was another option that could have led to an entirely different reality had the U.S. merely invited Japanese witnesses to see Bikini Island be blown away a few years before it was actually blown away. They would have gotten the point there would have been no need for an evasion. The war was over and they would have known it. But that's not the way that Truman and his generals saw it. They saw life in a Manichaean way where there was an evil god who could somehow overthrow the good. 
my generation was born into an atmosphere of fear. Actually, fear and loathing, if you really put your heart into it. You can learn to hate something passionately as a duty to God and country. You can put yourself in a state of mind when you are a child that says you would be willing to kill on command. You can pledge allegiance 15,000 times. By the time you're 18 years old and there's a war that you have an opportunity to take part in, it's your duty. It's your duty to go. Your duty to take up arms in the name of the Republic for which the red, white, and blue stands. As you step into the recruiter, he asks you to define republic. What are you fighting for? What is the idea that war will bring to pass? Is it peace and cooperation among mankind? Is it goodwill toward man? that war will accomplish? Hey. Hey. Me. Adding two. First time I've ever done this. It's 20 minutes later than it was. Maybe half an hour later. The brownies came out of the oven. It was a 9 by 13 pan, so I ate the crisp inch off and cut the brownies into a dozen 3 by 4 brownies. Turned out pretty good. The sunset has progressed into a symphony, if you can see such things in terms of sound waves as they might pass through a membrane that translated them into light for our visual receptors to perceive patterns that form in the random buttermilk sky being underswept by these sideways waves that collect around contrails from jets and then become ripples, ripples at about the 7,000 foot level. They're on the bottom of those buttermilk skies, up, up, maybe 
10,000 feet. They're fading into that peach sunset hue that I'm beginning to equate with December skies. It's not cold. I'm in the middle Terran zone. Below the 35th parallel, up and down from the equator. The life zone where survivors were possible 13,000 years ago. When all over the world there was an event that changed everything and brought about <clears throat> the last great global bottleneck of life itself on planet Earth. A third of almost everything was killed. I'm sure you've heard the stories. You should have seen the evidence had you grown up in northern Arizona the evidence would have been all around you it was like walking on the bottom of the ocean when you got out among the lava flows and the great packed down dunes of sandstone, fine sand, pressure packed together into stone all around you, and quartz with gold in it, wherever you knew to look. Surely we live on the wreck of a world, Benjamin Franklin, Said he said when he found what I think was a nautilus shell in the Adirondack Mountains before his first trip to Europe. He was probably around 4,000 feet above sea level when he found that shell and he said, surely we live on the wreck of a world. In his heart he was saying, this is the proof. This is the proof. Once there was a catastrophe that killed all but a very few. Everywhere. Killed all but a very few. And all we have left everywhere is a little leaven from the story that we all thought we knew from our points of view around the globe at about this altitude and about this longitude and latitude and stuff. Positioned on life ship Earth in that zone where 
naked apes can thrive, even if they've forgotten how to make fire, they can thrive. In those days, knowledge would have been power. Whoever knew how to make fire would have seemed a god to children gathered around the only adult they could find who had survived. If that child watched that grown-up make fire and learned how to do it, learned how to do it well, that fire-starting child would not likely use the fire to destroy. It would not be until fire was common knowledge that fire is used to destroy. There was a flaw in the system, but evolution had that in mind when it came up with the idea of T-cells and the thymus gland and the medulla being in systematic consort with the spleen and the tonsils and the adenoids and the lymphatic system, most of which don't do what they really do until your digestive system has clocked off for a while. You give your guts a rest, let them settle, let them take out the trash, get rid of all that which has no use and recycle some things, reconstitute re the elements, put things together, send them up there to that blood-brain barrier and see what makes it through the gap. Is this osmosis or is this telekinesis? We never know the mechanics of the thing. But as we watch life cycle day after day, unless we are a fool, we must admit Sunsets seem intentionally beautiful. If you take the time to watch them happen and you have an inclination to nail the first star you see in the West, Nail that first star you see in the west to the sky. Focus on it. Feel our planet turn. You and I, we're moving at this speed, thinking at the speed of thought with no time barriers whatsoever.
I may have said this a hundred years ago and you're listening to it now. How would you feel if you chose to not lie? And tell the truth when given opportunity. How would you feel? You could spend years imagining that. Then one day find yourself doing it. And thinking, it would have helped for me to know sooner that others were thinking this way. That we can make up our mind to settle the issues that divide the minds of man. We can come to an agreement with an older Jefferson, one who hopefully had repented of his comment about savages, the unequal savages mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. But on his memorial wall, they carved his vow, eternal vow, to oppose any form of tyranny over the mind of man. Jump a hundred years, find Dale Carnegie becoming rich, 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 rich. So rich that in his old age, feeling as righteous as he might, he hired this guy named Napoleon Hill to scientifically map out the road to riches. And Napoleon Hill came up with Think and Grow Rich which has been around for a while. And should you read Think and Grow Rich and live 50 years after reading it, always being accused of not heeding it, you can scorn the idea. Truth makes you free. But it's not immediate. It makes you free sometimes from a trap you have not stepped in yet. One that you have feared most of your life. But now the truth is making you aware of the fact that that trap and traps like it can't hold you because of the road that you traveled that formed the true you, the no-mask you, the you of multiple personalities, a character known to every person who knows you. And they are fewer than I would imagine most people think needful. They feel this itch to be known. 
I want to be famous when I grow up. I want to be famous. The only famous person on your family tree was Sam Bass, my daddy said to me. I looked, but I haven't found Sam Bass on my family tree. But through the years, the decade and a half I lived with the man, He mentioned seven times or more. I meant to say several, but seven may be accurate. He said, yeah, you'll be famous. You'll be on the FBI's most wanted list. Said that to me a bunch of times. I was a little thief, and I was what my culture termed a good liar, a good liar. I could get what I wanted from just about anybody if I was really serious about what I wanted from that person. I was referred to as a little devil early on in my life. But I was also a little clown. And I also learned to read before all my cousins and my uncles and my aunts. And I didn't get leukemia from the dust in Nevada like my sister did. My two sisters did. One lived 30 years, one lived 18 months. The 18th month one, that broke my daddy's heart. But I didn't know it. He told my wife 70 years later or so, 60 maybe. I don't remember who told me that my dad was mad at God because his mother, who was a Cajun Catholic in Louisiana, had told him that the 18-month-old sister Peggy had died unbaptized and there was no second chance. Done deal, that kid's in hell. Yeah. Say you're a good Catholic boy, just got out of the war. Your last assignment was at a place called Alamogordo, and you can't talk about it. You didn't do anything that would make you famous. You're a good man. You blew it. You knocked up a 15-year-old girl. Daughter of a man who had survived the Lincoln County Wars. 
men had just moved to Arkansas, planning to retry the American dream. A couple months later, he had to go back to 1944, had to lie to get a birth certificate that said my mother was 16 years old. She wasn't going to be 16 years old until August of 1944. She was born in 1928. My sister Marie was born in September 1944. And in those days, that was a burden. That was a secret something people would not talk about. And my daddy was a Catholic boy. Well, my granddaddy was a non-church-going, Baptist culture sort of man. He read his Bible, but he drank his whiskey. And he married a woman that some people said was a half-breed. I never really knew, and I wanted to find out. So my grandma was 95 years old, and I went to visit her. Asked her to tell me about her family. She said, Kenny, didn't you know I was an orphan? She said, I was an orphan. No was in there, no W. I was an orphan. When she'd answered the phone all my life, whenever she'd answered the phone, it was yellow, yellow. And she was a formative force in my life. Probably five foot tall at the max. 100 pounds max all her life. Little copper colored lady with gleaming eyes, piercing eyes. I learned the gimlet eyes means piercing eyes that convey sense beyond seeing, messaging eyes, receiving eyes, eyes that take in everything. My grandmother had those kind of eyes. She gave me a rock collection when I was seven during the height of the Davy Crockett days. My grandfather gave me a whole town of log cabin syrup containers, metal containers that were shaped like houses. One of them was the general store, and one was a log cabin, and so on. It was a whole little town. It was uh, just the right size for, for one of those big, like, 
10-inch boxcar-sized electric railroads. And over a period of time, I don't know how long it was, but my grandfather collected the whole town and he gave it to me. It wasn't Christmas or my birthday or anything. He just gave it to me. And he had other grandsons beside me by then. <clears throat> then when I was 12, fifth grade, maybe 11. My grandma gave her lifetime collection of Cracker Jack toys to me. It was in a rainbow bread bag and it was full of Cracker Jack toys. I'm sure they would be great treasures did they exist today somewhere. But she had collected those things since she was a little girl. And when I asked her about her family, she had no memories. I just, well, what was it like to be a kid born in 1910? I mean, airplanes were just beginning to fly. There was no music on the radio. And movies were little flickery black and white silent things with some local pianist trying to keep up. And my grandma told me one anecdote of what she did as a child. She said, as an orphan, she was required to go to church on Sunday, to Sunday school and to church. And she was apparently given enough money to buy admittance to a movie theater in those days. And she would skip church and use the money she was supposed to put in the offering plate to go to the movies. And I thought, that's the only child version of my grandmother. And there are uh, some noises these dogs are not familiar with. As the sun goes down, the birds decide to find their final roosting place. And these idiots are uh, city dogs. <laughs>